Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us if I could before we begin. Father, we are thankful again for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. I, I'm just so, so thankful for Lord, the ability to, to open up the text and, and to learn and to understand and, and to hear from you. So I pray, Father, that you would just speak to us this morning Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would hear your word and apply it to our lives be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give you an update, if I could, on our missions offering from last week. As as you know, we took up a missions offering for the second year in a row. And we raised last week alone right at $50,000 for mission, which is uh, incredible. I was so excited about that. We had Several people, it was funny, put the IOUs in, like, I forgot it was this week, I'm going to bring it next week, and that's okay, you can certainly do that, you can continue to give to the missions offering, just make it clear on the envelope or on the, on the check so we know exactly what to do with that. But I want to paint for you a picture, if I can, of what the last year and a half, and really by the end of this year, what the last two years are going to look like for us as far as mission work is concerned. If you combine last year's mission offering in August... With this year's mission offering in August, our church has raised just over $320,000 for mission work. That's phenomenal, but I'm not done yet, so hang on. If you took what our church gave last year to the cooperative program, which is the money we give to the Southern Baptist Convention, a bulk of that goes overseas to mission work, about half of it. About 25% of it goes to missionaries here in America for church planting. The other 25% is divvied out between the seminaries and some other administrative costs within the Southern Baptist Convention. If you take what we gave last year and what we're on pace to give this year between the last two years, our church has given $175,000 to the cooperative program. If you take what we've given last year to Lottie Moon, what we gave this year to Annie Armstrong, and what we plan on giving to Lottie Moon this particular Christmas, and you add those up, we've given around $60,000. So if you take our missions offering for the last two years... Our combined cooperative program giving for the last two years and our Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon offerings for the last two years, this church has given just over $550,000 towards mission work in the last two years. That's phenomenal. It's hard for me to get my mind around that because I never believed, I never dreamed that it would be this big for us. I never dreamed the Lord was going to do what he did. And so what this tells me very clearly is the Lord's got a plan for this church. You understand that? He's doing something incredible. He's doing something amazing. And he's got specific plans for us to continue to push forward, to continue to move ahead. And we still have a a large sum of money, of course, saved back for our upcoming mission trips. We're still praying through what that's going to look like and how the Lord would have us to use that. But the beautiful thing right now is we've got all these mission trips planned. Every one of them will be funded. You understand that, right? Every trip on this list that I'm going to talk about in just a second is already funded. We've got the money to buy supplies, to build houses, to buy medicines. All that money's in hand. And we have the opportunity, if another mission opportunity arises, to give to that without having to worry about it. The Lord has blessed us. The Lord is doing incredible things in this church. And and I want to tell you, these are exciting days. Because I talk to people in other places and, and, and 
It can be frustrating sometimes. I'm just thankful for what the Lord is doing, for how he's word. And I want to encourage you, if you have not already, if you weren't at our missions conference or didn't get one on the front pew, and I think some in the back and down here, is a list of all the trips we're going to be taking in 2014, both home and abroad. And you can begin to pray through that. And you can begin to think about how the Lord would use you there. I want you to pray about it and think about it. And then we've got an interest card you can fill out, and you can put that in the offering plate or hand that to me or Randy. This just says I'm interested. It'll give you the opportunity to get some more information about these trips get some more information about these meetings. I want you to be in prayer for that because I'm telling you, the Lord is moving right now and he's stirring our church in a direction to reach the world for him. So we're going to continue to walk down that path. We're going to continue to be obedient. We're going to continue to follow him for his honor and for his glory. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is Labor Day weekend in case any of you didn't know, right? I know you're all excited about tomorrow. Most people are probably off, maybe not all. But it's Labor Day weekend. We have the opportunity to spend some time maybe with our families, spend some time with our friends, spend some time sleeping a little more or resting or whatever you want to do. But I want to think this morning about our work. I want to think this morning about our careers and our jobs because for so many people, work is a major part of what they do. Now, I know in a church this size, we've got a lot of different jobs and a lot of different careers represented. We have people that work in offices, we have people that work in factories, we have people that uh, travel, we have people that stay at home and work. By the way, my wife's not in here right now, she's working in the children's department. She works harder than I do, if the truth is told, at home with our children. You stay-at-home moms understand that. You understand how hard you work and the the difficulty, and we have teachers, and we have people that that work and, and sacrifice and give of themselves every single day for work. Now, you start thinking about how important work is, start adding up the amount of time you spend involved in work. From the time you get up and get ready and drive and work all day and drive home, and maybe you work a little bit at night, maybe you have to work a little bit on the weekends, you begin to add those numbers up, and if you were to kind of add up all the things we do in our life, work would be right near the top, wouldn't it? People train for their jobs, people go to school for their jobs, people have invested kind of their lives in their jobs. You do everything you can to be successful in work. And so I want to think this morning about your career. I want to think this morning about your job. I want to think this morning about how the Lord has led you in this path. And in order to do that, I want to examine a passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6 that speaks very clearly to what the Lord has called us to do. Because here's what we need to understand about work. Work can bring glory and honor to the Lord just like anything else can. Your work can be God's honor if we'll follow these principles and understand exactly what he's calling us to do. Now, Ephesians is a very interesting book. It's divided into kind of two sections. There are six chapters in the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are very doctrinal, very theological. Paul sets this foundation in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 about our faith in Christ, about his calling on our life, about the Lord's grace, about who we are in unity together as the body of believers. He kind of sets this foundation in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians are very practical. And where Paul begins to say, because of who we are in Christ, because of his grace, because of his mercy, we should live differently. You understand? You should be different than the rest of the world. Because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has called you to do and who Christ has called you to be, you should live differently. I believe one of the struggles of Christians in our world today is they don't always understand how they should apply their theology and their beliefs to their life. So how, you may say, would the grace of God affect the way that I live? How should I take the theology that I understand and believe that God gives grace? How does that 
actually affect me? How do I live my life differently because of that? How should my faith in Christ dictate the way that I make decisions? And the question I want to think about this morning is, how should my walk with the Lord be lived out at work? And so in order to do that, I want to examine Ephesians, beginning chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Let me just speak about this before we begin to read it, because Paul's going to be speaking about slaves and masters. I think in the context of the world we live in, it's fair to take these principles and apply them to the workplace with an employee and a boss. I think that's a fair assumption to make. I think we can add that into the text, and it's, it's legitimate. I think it's fair to look at the same sort of relationship between student and teacher, guys. So I think as we read about slaves and masters, you can kind of insert words in here that maybe fit your area of life a little more closely. I'm going to read it like Paul's written, and then I'm going to rephrase it here in just a few minutes. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I think we have these on the screen for us. Slaves, and that could be employees, obey your earthly masters or your boss with respect and fear. With sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Man, that's at verse 7 right there. That's not all I'm going to talk about, but you could live your life on that verse right there. If you'll just serve the Lord and not worry about serving people, you'll be amazed at what he'll do through you. Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now we all understand, we're going to stop there this morning with those passages. We all understand that work can be difficult, right? And we can talk about God's grace and God's glory and the honor and how we can live our lives for Him and how we can demonstrate our faith for Him in our work. But if we're honest with each other, we would all say there are times, there are days, there are weeks, months, maybe years when work is hard. And so what do we need to do with the truth of what Paul has given us here? How do we need to work so that we can in fact bring Him honor, but so we can also find fulfillment and joy in what we do? Now, there's some truths here that I want to bring out and talk through this morning that Paul gives us very clearly that will help us apply these biblical principles to our day-in and day-out work life. And here's the first principle I want you to see. Number one, this is foundational for us. We must work as if we were working for Christ. That's foundational. That's foreign for a lot of people because you don't go to work some mornings and think, how can I serve Christ this morning? You go to work thinking about maybe what you've got to accomplish and what your boss is going to ask you to do, what you're going to ask your employees to do. You go to work thinking about the problems that you left the day before you've got to pick back up. You go to work thinking about how you're going to deal with this employee. You go to work with all this list of things that you've got to do. And all those things are important and they're part of our work. But I'm going to argue that if you want to be fulfilled in your job, if you want to be fulfilled in your career, if you want to be fulfilled at school students, If you want to be fulfilled day in and day out in your work life or in your studies or whatever the Lord's led you to do, you need to begin with Christ. I think so many people miss that. Now, God has given us a very clear picture of work from the very beginning. It's interesting to me, if you study the idea of work, it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation in Genesis. Now, I don't want you to turn back, but let me just give you a little bit of biblical background of work. Genesis chapter 2. God has created the heavens and earth in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work, there's the phrase there, he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. Now God works differently than we do, we understand that. But what we're going to see is God's going to take this idea of work, and he's going to apply it now to Adam and Eve in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. Listen to what the Bible says. So the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to, you ready, work it and to take care of it. You see that? See, God created us to work. Now that may be foreign to some of the younger generations, right? (laughs) It's very easy for us to kind of buy into this mindset that we should always be entertained and we should always be happy and we should kind of always do what we want to do. And there's nothing wrong with being happy and there's nothing wrong with entertainment. But I think biblically the Lord created us to work. We can find great fulfillment in work. We can find great joy in work. Many of you have experienced that before. But then there are others, if we were honest about it, would say things like this. You know, Adam, I hear what you're saying. And I understand that the Lord created work. And I understand that he ordained us to work. And I understand that we can find joy and peace and fulfillment in work. But if I'm very honest with you, Adam, I don't find any peace and fulfillment in work. I don't find any joy in the things that I'm doing. You begin to ask the question, if God created it like this, why is it now like this? Well, there's a kind of a simple answer that helps us understand why God created it good and all of a sudden it's bad and we struggle when we shouldn't. It's because of sin in the world. In fact, we see that very clearly in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve have sinned, I want you to listen to what the Lord says to Adam. This is a very clear indication of what work is going to be from this point forward in history. Again, here's the big picture. God created everything good. Adam and Eve sinned, and from that point forward, everything changed. Now, here's what the Bible says. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 17. To Adam, now this is the Lord speaking to Adam after they'd sinned. He said, because you listened to your wife. That's a whole sermon right there, right, guys? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. See, Amy's not in here, so I won't say that next service, I promise you. I'll just breeze right on through that. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, through, now watch this, painful toil. You see that? It's going to be hard now, Adam. It's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, I think sometimes we miss the profound effect of sin on our world. We miss how it's wrecked and and destroyed and changed. And we see just a, a... just a, little, a small little indication in Genesis chapter 3 how the Lord has, because of the sin of the world, because of the curse now that sin has brought, we see how work is going to change. We see how work is going to be different. We see how work is going to be a struggle for us. And you say, you know, how can, I, how can I move past this struggle? How can I move past these difficulties? Because we live in a world filled with sin. We understand that. And we understand we are going to have to work hard and we're going to work by the sweat of our brow and it's going to be painful and all the things that we just read in Genesis chapter 3, we understand that. But I think as believers, if we're ever going to move beyond that, if we're ever going to move past that, we've got to understand we're not working for humans, we're working for the Lord. We're working for Christ. Right? Now, I've got a boss who tells me what to do, but I'm working for the Lord. I've got a a, a board of directors that tells me what to do, but I'm working for the Lord, right? 
I've got a supervisor who tells me what to do, but I'm working for the Lord. I've got a teacher that tells me what to do, but I'm working for the Lord. I think if we can kind of understand the foundation upon which this is built, if we can understand that in all things we need to work for the Lord, I think we can kind of move beyond the struggles that we see. Not to say we're not going to struggle. Not to say it's not going to be difficult, but we begin to say something like this. Instead of, Lord, this is such a tough day, we begin to say things like this. Lord, this is a tough day, but I'm going to serve you anyway. I'm going to find joy in you, Lord. Even if I can't find joy in my workplace, I'm going to find joy in you. I'm going to find joy in who you are. I'm going to find joy in what you're doing. I'm going to find where you're at work around me, Lord, and I'm going to find joy in that. You know, we, we talk about the Lord being first in all things. And I think for so many believers in the world in which we live, if we're honest with each other, and, and again, I'll, I'll be at the head of the line here, we would say that Christ is first in all things. We may not always live like that, though, right? It's easy to say. It's easy to say in Sunday school. It's easy to say to our friends. It's, it's easy to say those kinds of things, but it's very difficult to do those things. Because I begin to think about Christ being first, and I say, you know, if Christ were first, he would be first in my schedule, wouldn't he? He would be first in my finances, he would be first in my actions. He would be first in my attitudes, right? He, he would be first at work. And yet so oftentimes we speak about Christ being first, and yet we've got so many other things that we accomplish before we ever think about him. We have so many things that we do before we ever consider him. We have so many things that we want to work on and try to fix before we ever bring Christ really into the mix. But if you read this passage of Scripture... And you begin to study through it and you kind of, kind of recognize what Paul's saying. He says over and over and over again that in the context of work, our focus has to be on Christ. And so let me just kind of demonstrate that to you if I can in verse 5. If you have those scriptures, bring those back up again if you would please. Slaves and, and masters, I'm going to read it with employees and boss. Verse 5, listen to, what, listen to what Paul's saying. Employees, obey your boss with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey who? Christ, right? There's the picture. Verse 6. Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. There it is again. Two verses in a row now. Verse 7. Work wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Now that's three verses in a row. Now verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you. So there it is again. There's the picture of the Lord. Now verse 9. Masters or bosses, treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9 all contain the idea of working for the Lord, right? They all contain doing the will of the Lord, obeying Christ, putting him first, thinking about him, seeking him, looking to him for guidance. Now I want to be clear about this. We certainly would all say that we go to work because we need to make a salary. We get that. We have to go and we have to make money to provide for our families and for ourselves. And that's absolutely what we should be doing. But I think sometimes we miss the truth of obeying the Lord. I think if you see your career is simply a way for you to advance up the corporate ladder and you never factor Christ in what you're doing, I think you're going to be mistaken. And I think more than anything else, you're going to miss the fulfillment of who Christ is in your life. And the fulfillment of what you can accomplish if you work for him. That's interesting to me if you think about work. And some of you will, will kind of relate to this story. But I can remember times in my life when I've been working and kind of the boss stops by, right? Or the owner stops by. School teachers, I guess they still do it like this. It's been a few years since I've taught. But I'm assuming you still go through accreditation, right? And I'm assuming there's an accreditation team that shows up every now and then, right? And I remember for us... 
the years we were accredited, you know, you got this big stack of stuff you got to do and folders you fill out and all this kind of paperwork. But the week that those people show up and walk your building, that's a big week, right? And everything is neat and everything's put away and everything's planned as it should be, right? You understand that. You understand that? Guys that, that work in some sort of an industry or some sort of a company, when the boss comes around or the chairman of the board comes around, that's a different sort of a feel for you, isn't it? You pay attention a little bit more. You focus a little bit more. You prepare things a little better maybe than you would the week before. We have all sorts of instances where when the boss comes around, we act differently. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I worked at Little Caesars Pizza, right? Any of you guys ever worked at Little Caesars? I'm the only one? Oh, I feel special. Now, for me, th- this is what Little Caesars was about for me. I didn't even know what minimum wage was back then, but I made minimum wage. That was really insignificant to me. You know why? Because they let me take on free pizza every night. That was worth it, right? I mean, I was in high school. I got free pizza. But I was, so, I was such a great worker that they let me cut the pizza. That was my job, right? I cut like 9,000 pizzas a day. This is what I did. So at our house now, when pizza needs to be cut, guess what? Dad cuts the pizza. I know how to do it. I'm good at it. But it's just, I mean, it's just cutting pizza, right? I mean, either medium or large or small, you get a certain number of slices. It's pretty straightforward, right? But I'll never forget one week the, the owner was going to be coming of the company, or I guess that particular little company right there, that particular store. And my manager was just like frantic all week, right? And he's cleaning more and getting things out. And, and he, he comes to me with this manual, right? I'd never seen the manual. I probably was supposed to read it in some sort of training that I never received, right? You know how that works. I'm cutting pizzas after all. And he's like, you know, you got to... You got to cut it a certain way, you know. And he, he made me look at this manual of how you cut a pizza, right? How big the slices are supposed to be, how many slices they're supposed to be, and how you fold the box, you know. And it's just a box, and you put the pizza in it. But when the owner came, both those guys at some point that day came and kind of stood beside me and watched me cut the. And of course, I'm nervous, right? I'm, you know, am I cutting it right? Am I doing folding the box right? I don't want to be fired, you know, not be able to take pizzas home for free anymore. This is a big deal for me. And so I worked hard. Why not? I, if I was honest, I tried to work hard every day, but there were probably days I worked. Not as hard as I should have, right? I'm, I'm a high school teenager, right? But when the big boss was there, you know what I did? I was on, I was on the money. I was cutting exactly like I was supposed to be, putting it in the box and folding. You know, I'm quick, I'm efficient, right? Why? Because he was watching me. We understand that. You can translate that to your own life on all different levels. But here's the point. Do we work as if Christ were watching us ever? The way you speak to a coworker, do you do it thinking Christ is listening to the conversation? The way you respond to your boss when he's not looking, do you do as if Christ is listening? If you're a boss and you respond to a worker, do we do it as if Christ were listening to us? I just wonder how our work would be different, how our schoolwork would be different, how our lives would be different if we kind of could infuse Christ into these things and see that we need to work for him. We're not working for me, and I just wonder if we would act a little more kindly to our fellow workers. I wonder if we'd show a little more grace. I wonder if we'd show a little more mercy. I I wonder if we would waste less time and and be a little more productive. I just wonder how we would be different if we understood we were working for Christ. I think that's foundational for us. Now let's move forward. Verse 5 again. Let's read through these. Because Paul's going to give us now some very specific things. The foundation is Christ. When you show up to work Tuesday morning, you're off tomorrow. When you show up Tuesday morning, the focus is, I'm working for you, Lord. I've got to answer to these people. I've got to do these things, but I'm going to conduct myself in such a way that brings you honor, Lord. I'm going to act as if you're walking beside me the whole day. How would I respond differently? Now, Paul's going to give us some specifics. What does that actually look like? How do we flesh that out in our lives? So verse 5 again, employees, obey your boss. Here's a very clear one. With respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. You can put teacher in there, by the way. You can put boss, owner, whatever it fits for you. Verse 6, 
Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Work wholeheartedly. There's another idea. As if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, whether they are employee or boss. So here's the second truth. Number one, we begin with Christ as our foundation. That's awfully important. If you just start there and move forward, you're going to be blessed. But here's the other truth. Here's the second truth. Employees should obey their boss with respect and sincerity of heart. Now, that may sound like a no-brainer, but I want to say something to you. It's not just the way you respond to them when they're looking at you. It's not just respect you give them when they see you. It's respect you give them when they don't see you. It's your attitude. It's the way you conduct yourselves when they're not looking. Because we're always under somebody's authority, aren't we? I mean, it doesn't matter what position you have, you are under somebody's authority, right? If you're an employee, you've got a boss. If you've got a boss or a manager, then that person, the boss or the manager, if you're that position, you've got an owner. If you're the owner, you've got maybe a board of directors or you've got somebody else looking over you. And ultimately, we've got the government looking over us and the IRS and there's certain regulations and certain things we've got to follow. And if we kind of take a step back and look at it from a spiritual perspective, we're all under the authority of Christ, right? But in our role as employee or boss or owner or wherever we fit into this category, we understand that the Lord gives us some clear things we need to think through. Some ways we ought to conduct ourselves, some ways we ought to live, some ways we ought to honor our boss. And he gives us a couple of major ideas here. First is we should obey with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. You know, I think that's maybe something that's becoming almost a lost art for a lot of people. The idea of respect. The idea of working hard, of being sincere in what you're doing. I'll never forget talking to my granddaddy who was born in the 19-teens. I'm not exactly sure, 1912, 13, around that time period. And he was actually married, for you historians will recognize this, I'll tell you in a second. He was married September of 1929. Now the stock market crashed in October 1929 to begin the Great Depression. Some of you may know that. So my granddaddy kind of grew up in this era of not having a whole lot. He quit school when he was six, a sixth, sixth grade uh, and he worked for his family to put food on the table. And he, he would talk oftentimes about his job. But the thing that always struck me about Granddaddy talking about living in the Depression, you know, that's, a, that's just a different mindset than we have. That's a totally different world than we live in now. But the thing that always struck me was how excited and fortunate he felt to have a job. Right? It wasn't as if it was guaranteed or somebody owed him anything. It was as if he worked hard and he was proud of it. And he was able to provide for his family. And I think we see that in this passage of scripture we need to work hard and we need to respect those that we work for and we need to do everything we can to be sincere and to give them an honest day's work for an honest day's pay now if we study through this passage of scripture here's what we don't say paul saying paul doesn't say you need to do all these things if you agree with your boss or your owner right as long as you agree with them then you can respect them then you can work hard that's not what it says Paul, Paul doesn't say that we can only do these things if it makes sense to us, right? If we understand it, that's not what the, the Word says. Paul doesn't say that we only need to do these things if we, if we feel like it. I think there's this mindset oftentimes in our world today that, you know, we're going to do what we want to do, what makes us feel good, regardless of what anybody else says. That's not what the Scripture teaches. That's not what Paul tells us here. I think we need to understand on kind of a, a practical level that if we got a job, we ought to be happy we got a job, right, first of all. And then if we've got that job, we ought to work awfully hard. We ought to work as if we're serving the Lord. But I think we need to begin to factor these things into our life. I think we need to begin to factor these truths into the way that we work. Because it's not just do you like what your boss says. It's not just are you happy with what your boss says. 
It's not just do you agree with what your boss says. Paul says you need to follow and obey with respect and with fear. Not only do you need to do that, but he says in verse 7, you need to work wholeheartedly. That means work as hard as you can. Now, if we were honest, we've probably all at some point in our life cut some kind of corner, hadn't we? It's just human nature. It's sin nature, right? We, we want to maybe get finished a little bit earlier. Or maybe the job's not as important to us as it should be. And so we don't do things the way we should do them. Or maybe if we were honest, there are times at work that we waste. Or we, we do things that we maybe are not bad, but they're not productive. Or they're not helping the company move forward. And maybe they're not honoring to Christ. As we study Paul here and we begin to understand these things, we, we see that he's saying this. You know what? You need to work hard. You need to work with respect. You need to work with honor. And you begin to say, well, why are those things so important? Because there are people watching you. You understand that? As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, people understand who you are. They understand what you claim to be. And when you goof off and waste time and cut corners and treat people poorly, that's a reflection of Christ. You may not think it is, but it is. And Paul says that there's a way that we need to be serving. There's a way that we need to be living. There's a way that we need to be working. Now, some of you are already saying, and I feel this way too, because as I read this passage of Scripture, I begin to look at this and I say, you know, that's very difficult to do. <laughs> that's hard to do. Again, this is, this is the theology, the doctrine. Can we take that and apply that to our lives? How do we do that? It's difficult. But we understand as we read this that Paul is giving instruction here very clearly to slaves, Right? And as I think through this a little bit, I ask myself the question, I kind of come to this realization. If Paul can expect a slave to do this, surely he can expect me to do it. And if a slave can live this way, surely I can live this way. Because I think in the grand scheme of things, if we can understand who Christ is in our lives, especially who he is in our workforce, and who he is day to day as we walk in, the door of our job on Tuesday morning this week. I think if we can understand that we should follow him and the way we should conduct ourselves, I think it's going to bring him honor. I think it's going to bring him glory. Now look at verse 9 as we kind of wrap this up this morning. It's interesting, Paul spends the bulk of his time talking to the slave and to the employee. It's interesting to me. He gives one verse to the master, but even that, he says to the master, you're very similar to the slave. Look what he says in verse 9. Masters, or you could say boss or owner, treat your slaves, or you could say employees, in the same way, right? So, boss, you're to treat your employees the same way they're supposed to be treating you. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So here's the third truth. Not only is Christ as a foundation, not only does Paul give us some clear direction for the employees, but here's number three. Bosses, you should treat your employees with honor and respect. Bosses, you should treat your employees with honor and respect. I know there are a lot of people in here that are the boss or the owner or the manager. And you need to understand something in this grand scheme of things as we understand who Paul is and what he's called us to do. You have an incredible opportunity as the leader of your company or the leader of your shift or the boss of whatever group of people you have to be an influence over those people for the good. You understand that, right? Because they're going to be looking to you They're going to be listening to you. And I want you to watch this. I think this is a truth that so many people miss in our lives. Sometimes it's more important the way we react than the way we act. Because it's very easy to walk in on a Monday morning and everything's good and I'm I'm the good boss. And I'm happy and I'm kind and I'm polite and I'm treating everybody fairly. But as soon as the first thing goes wrong, how do you treat people then? How do you react to that first bad situation? Because people are watching you. They understand who you are. They understand the claims of your life. I hope if you're the boss, they at least know you're a believer. 
If they don't, maybe you ought to start there Tuesday morning with some of these people. You've got an opportunity to lead these people. You've got an opportunity to be a picture of Christ in their life, even when things aren't going the way they should go. I was reading this week the account of a lady who was the CEO of, of one of these startup companies in the late 90s, one of these boom, dot-com boom companies, you know, that just exploded and then fizzled out a few years later. And she's talking about, she's a believer, and she's talking about how things were going so well that people were literally, these investors were literally throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at her company. She said she'd sit down with these investors and they would offer $250, $300 million to invest in this company. So things were going really, really well for a while. And you remember how the bubble got big and then you know, burst and all these companies went out of business. And she was an example of this. Kind of these flash in the pans. It went really well for a few years and then it just fizzled into nothing, right? And she just kind of was recounting and reflecting on how she struggled through that. And how could she kind of take Christ and apply that to this situation? How, she, how could she take Christ in the workplace and understand who he was and how he worked? And she came up with these five things. I thought they were very profound. And I want, I want to read them just very quickly this morning about how she applied Christ to her workplace. Here they are. She says that the gospel assures me that God cares about everything that I do and will listen to my prayers He may not answer them the way I want, but if he doesn't, it's because he knows things that I do not. My degree of success or failure is part of his good plan for me. God is my source and my strength and my perseverance. I think that's true. It might be difficult for you. You may pray that the Lord changes something, and he may not, but you need to understand he's still under control. He still understands what's going on. He's still got a plan for you. Here's the second thing she says. The gospel reminds us that God cares about the products we make and the companies we work for and the customers we serve. He not only loves us, but he also loves the world. It's easy sometimes to forget that, isn't it? And he wants us to serve it well. My work is a critical way in which God is caring for human beings and renewing his world. God gives us our vision and our hope. Here's the third thing. She says the gospel is good news. In the words of one pastor, cheer up. You're, worse, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. In other words, she says, I will continually err and sin, and yet God will prevail in my life through his goodness and his grace. Four things. She says the gospel gives meaning to our work as leaders. We're supposed to treat all people and their work with dignity. We're to create an environment in which people can flourish and use their God-given gifts to contribute to society. We're to embody grace, truth, hope, and love in the organizations that we create. And then here's the fifth thing. We're to express our relationship with God and His grace to us in the way we speak, work, and lead. Not as perfect examples, but as pointers to Christ. I thought those were very profound coming from a lady who's kind of been there and done that and had great success and seen great failure. And yet she thought through, she just talked about, as I read what she said, she talked about how she tried to figure out how to apply what she knew about Christ to her workplace. How do I take the idea of Jesus in my life and in my heart and apply him to my workplace? How do I live for him? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, sometimes we don't do that at work, do we? Sometimes we don't put him first. Sometimes he's not our foundation. Sometimes we don't make decisions based on what he would have us to do. But I think if we study scripture and we understand what Paul says here, 
then we can find fulfillment and we can find joy and we can bring Christ honor and glory by the way that we live our lives, especially the way that we work. I want to finish with a quote from Tim Keller. Some of you may be familiar with Tim Keller. He's a very well-known theologian and pastor. I want you to listen to what he says. If this life is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will even be around to remember anything that's ever happened. Everything will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Unless there's a God. If the God of the Bible exists, and there is a true reality behind and beneath this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. That's what the Christian faith promises. I think we can find hope and fulfillment in our jobs. I think we can bring honor to Christ. I think we can live among our co-workers and among our employees and among our bosses in such a way that other people will see Christ in us. And I think when we do that, we'll find joy, we'll find fulfillment, and Christ will be honored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text, Lord, and for the clear teaching of your word. We thank you for work, Lord, that you called us to work and gave us the ability to work, Lord, and gave us the ability, even in difficult situations, to find fulfillment in our jobs. But I pray right now, Father, as we think through what you've called us to do, that we would understand the foundation of Christ, the foundation of of working and living based upon his teachings and upon his word. And then, Father, I pray we would treat our employees and our boss and all the people that we're around at work with, with dignity and with respect, and we would work hard for your honor and for your glory. And I pray, Lord, in the, in the context of the workplace, you would use us in a mighty and powerful way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And you can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and pray. Maybe, maybe you want to pray about your workplace. Maybe it's not what you hoped it would be. Maybe you're struggling or maybe things are going really well, but you've never really considered Christ. And I just want you to think about that this Labor Day weekend. As we rest and spend time with family, you consider Christ in your workplace. Or maybe you want to repent of your sins, you know, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you want to join this church. This is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.